Let me invite you to turn with me to the passage we read a few moments ago, Luke 14, in verses 1 through 14. As I said, this morning and this evening, we're going to be looking at this passage under the heading, Lessons from a Dinner Party. And we're going to learn some very important lessons from the lips of Jesus. These were lessons that he originally shared as he dined in this home of this prominent Pharisee on the Sabbath afternoon. And I pray that God truly would bring them to bear upon our hearts and lives as we will dine with the Lord Jesus Christ in just a few moments. I have three points for us as we work our way through these opening 14 verses. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6 under the heading, Jesus stuns the dinner party into silence by healing on a Sabbath. Jesus reproaches his fellow dinner guests about their bad table manners, verses 7 to 11. And then finally, Jesus reproaches his host about the guest list of his dinner party. So Jesus stuns them into silence. Jesus reproaches his fellow guests and Jesus reproaches the host. But before we get to the first point, notice that in verse 1, Luke sets the scene for us. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. It was common practice in the ancient Middle East that after a service at morning synagogue, that you would be invited by a member or a religious leader back to their home for a meal. And we know from reading through Luke's gospel that the Pharisees relished the opportunity to invite Jesus to their homes. Even though they thought of him as a rogue rabbi from Nazareth, they recognized that he was one of the most popular preachers of their day. And it wouldn't do their status any any hit for them to have him in their homes. But it's clear from verse 1 that these these Pharisees had other motives as well. Do you notice that Luke says that they were watching Jesus carefully? Luke not only gives us the setting, but he gives us a, a feel for the atmosphere. There's something sinister in the air. You see, this Pharisee's hospitality is really just a cover for his hostility towards Jesus. They want to catch him. They want to trap him. They want to find something that they can pin on him so that he will be put to death. But did you also note that in verse 1, Luke tells us this isn't just the home of any old Pharisee. We're in the home of a ruler of the Pharisees. And by introducing him in this way, Luke's impressing upon us, we're in the home of a very important man. This man was no doubt an an expert in the law of God. He was widely respected, held in wide renown. Maybe he had published countless books. Maybe he was the main speaker at every Jewish conference. As in the States last week, and one of my friends gave me a tour of his seminary. It's arguably the most significant, in its, own, in its own estimation, Reformed Baptist theological seminary in the world. 
you can figure out which one it is. And it was an incredible tour. It was an incredible campus. And as we were leaving, my friend said to me, he said, do you see that building over there? I said, of course I can see that building over there. It's massive. It looks like the White House. He said, that's where the president of the seminary lives. My jaw hit the floor. I could hardly believe it. I thought to myself, I want to be the president of this Baptist seminary. (laughs) But I couldn't help think of that this week as I was preparing for the sermon, wondering, I wonder if this ruler of the Pharisee lived in a, a first century equivalent to that home. You know, with a status and significance. You know, if he's the sort of man who loves to throw dinner parties and entertain all manner of guests in his home. And as I was thinking in the study, I couldn't help but imagine what happened that morning at the synagogue. You know, the the service ends, the, the rabbi stands up and pronounces the ironic blessing as a benediction. Lots of Jews make their way to the exits, whilst others stay. They, they, they gather around the equivalent of the teen coffee table, and they have small talk. And there's Jesus and his 12 disciples standing, mingling with them. And then all of a sudden, this prominent Pharisee barges into their conversation and says, Jesus, you and your friends must come to my house today for lunch. My wife wants you to know it's roast lamb on the menu. And you can't miss my house. I live in the White House just across the road. I I don't know if that was what happened, but I I bet Peter, James, and John were all licking their lips at the prospect of a roast lamb dinner that Sabbath. And I bet you some of the other disciples were very keen to get into this massive mansion. Luke's not really concerned with the surroundings that Jesus found himself in, but he is concerned that we would all know that it was the Sabbath day. And that is no insignificant detail. That sets up what is about to happen next. And here's where we come to our first heading. Jesus stuns this dinner party into silence by healing on the Sabbath. You see, in verse 2, we read, Behold, All of a sudden, as Jesus sits down to this meal in his prominent Pharisee's home, he comes face to face with a man who was sick and suffering. Coincidence? No chance. You see, in Luke 13, verses 10 to 17, the week before, Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath in the synagogue, had healed a woman in the synagogue who had been crippled for 18 years. And it seems that this man who's sick and suffering in this Pharisee's home, well, he's a plan. These Pharisees have brought him here to see if Jesus will be a repeat offender, a consistent Sabbath breaker. Because if he is, they've got him. Now, We're used to Jesus when he sees someone who's sick and suffering. What does he do immediately all the time? He heals them. But what does Jesus do here? He doesn't immediately heal them. No, he he turns and he politely asks, 
These experts in the law, these Pharisees and this ruler of the Pharisee who are all sitting around him, he asks them the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And it's brilliant. It's like Jesus asks them for permission. He knew these experts in the law did not believe it was right to heal a man who did not have a life-threatening illness on the Sabbath. And so Jesus says, come on, guys, what do you think? Is it right for me to heal the sick and suffering man today? They've got one of two options. They say, well, according to our rabbinical laws, no. And then they would show themselves as merciless and compassionless. Or they could say, according to the law of Moses, well, we, we, we think it would be unwise, just in case you, you become guilty of working on the Sabbath and transgressing the law. And I love what Jesus does here. These, these, this question leaves these experts in the law at a loss for words. They're speechless. Luke says in verse 4, they remained silent. It's an embarrassing, no-win situation for them. They thought they had trapped Jesus. They thought they had got Jesus. They thought they had Jesus on trial. Little do they know Jesus has got them on trial. And Jesus takes their silence as a cue for his action. Verse 5, what does he do? He heals the man. And don't read over that. He transforms that man. The Lord of glory has compassion and on mercy, and mercy on those who are sick and suffering. And he's so compassionate that he tells the man to leave. Why? Because he doesn't want this man to be caught up in the controversy of that day. He wants this man to go and live life as someone who has been healed and transformed by Jesus. It's one of the most compassionate acts of our Savior. Now, what Jesus does next is even more brilliant. See, he knows these Pharisees are nothing but hypocrites. He knows their man-made rabbinical laws better than they know them. And so he puts a question to them. Which of you, which of you would allow your child, your oxen, to fall into a well and not immediately rescue them? So when he says, which of you, that, 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 that way of asking a question is there is an obvious answer. Every single one of those men, if their child fell into a well or if their farm animal fell into a well on a Sabbath, would immediately pull them out. Why? Because this is the thing about Pharisees. This is the thing about those who want to give the impression on the outward that they're righteous and altogether 
this is their problem. They'll find loopholes in the law to suit themselves. They'll bend the rules for their own situation and circumstances. But they'll remain completely merciless and compassionless to a man made in the image of God who is suffering before their very eyes. Now, just as we stand in awe at Jesus' knockout blow, I, I should say this. Which of you bends the law on occasion to suit yourself? Like, who here looks at other people and thinks, you shouldn't do that? But then on occasion when you find yourself in a crisis or in a difficulty, you do the very thing you'd call out in someone else. You see, if truth be told, I think all of us would have to admit as we hear Jesus stunning these Pharisees into silence, he doesn't just expose their hypocrisy, he exposes our hypocrisy. He doesn't just expose their faulty interpretation of God's law, he exposes our faulty interpretation of God's law. Jesus wants us to know this about the law of God. If you are going to keep the law of God, it is the best life and it is the blessed life. The law of God never inhibits redemption or healing or acts of mercy. The law of God is for the good of his people and for the good of others. Well, it seems that the Pharisees that day were not in the talkative mood because they don't have anything to say to Jesus. Now, there's a problem. If you're at a dinner party with Jesus, he's no dull dinner guest, and he will happily talk. And so Jesus continues to talk, and here we come to our second point. Jesus is going to take the time to reproach his fellow dinner guests for their bad table manners. So one minute we've got Jesus calling the Pharisees out for their hypocrisy. Now we've got Jesus calling out the Pharisees for their bad table manners. And by that I mean for their pride, for their selfish, self-seeking desire for honored positions at the table. Remember what Luke said to us back in verse 1. He said, all the Pharisees were watching Jesus carefully. Well, it was brilliant. We get to verse 7 and we discover Jesus was also watching them very carefully. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Now, I have to say, this isn't your stereotypical parable. It's, it's more like advice that Jesus gives these men. But his advice is parabolic because it parodies the good advice of worldly wisdom only to subvert it by the more radical demand of the kingdom. So look, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. What Jesus is doing here is he's, he's giving his fellow dinner guests a solemn warning about their 
dinner party end etiquette. He noticed that at the beginning of the party, all these Pharisees rushed into this prominent Pharisee's home, and they all chose the seats closest to him, the host, the prominent Pharisee. I don't know if you know this, but in Jewish culture, if you attended a wedding or if you attended a, a wedding party or a dinner party, when you were a guest, the closer you sat to the host meant the more honored position you had. And if you turned up to a party where there were no place names on the table, you could choose your seat. And that's what happened on this Sabbath afternoon. These men came into this party. There's no place names on the chairs or on the table. And so what did they do? They, they run to the seats closest to the host. But Jesus says, listen, the etiquette at a dinner party is that you should take the lowest place. Now, now the reason this is so significant is because, remember, this was a shame and honor culture. And in a shame and honor culture, to experience public humiliation was to experience public, as it were, death. To be told by a host, you need to move out of your seat and you need to go down there and this other person needs to come up here. Well, that is lifelong shame. And Jesus says, listen, it's far better for you to pick a lower seat so that if the host is to come and say, listen, you come up here and sit near me. Now, there is an irony to this whole scene because I suspect that Jesus was sitting in the lowest place. I suspect that none of the dinner guests were aware that in their very midst was the Lord of glory. And there they all were, sitting as close as the host as possibly could be. Now, you might sit and hear this and think to yourself, is Jesus for real here? Like, why does he take the time? Why does he waste the time to give these guys advice for how you sit at a dinner table? Well, listen, because Jesus wishes to wake these men up to life and death issues which are life and death issues with eternal ramifications. If pride in a human social setting like a dinner party can lead to disastrous consequences, these men need to know that pride in the kingdom of God will lead to the most disastrous consequence. You'll be shut out of the banquet that is to come. The punchline of this story is verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And it's said in the passive, that is, will be humbled by God. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, said in the passive, that is, by God. Jesus here was giving more than just table manner advice. Jesus was giving these men spiritual application. Do not ever presume on a high position in the kingdom of God. God opposes the proud. He only shows favor to the humble. Honor is something that is not grasped by us. It's something that is given 
to us. And again, I imagine this must have been a really hard-hitting truth for these Pharisees to swallow that day. If you want status in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, humility is the path to greatness. The way up is down. You want to be near the throne of God? Well, in the kingdom of God, take the lowest place. So we've looked at Jesus. He stuns these Pharisees into silence by healing on the Sabbath. We've listened as he's reproached his fellow dinner guests for their pride and their their self-seeking desire for the highest position. And thirdly and finally, Jesus reproaches the host for his questionable guest list. As I said, Jesus is no dull dinner guest. And, uh, you know, as preachers, we, we sometimes, we strain, right, to try and tell our hearers, Jesus is the sort of person who is at home in anyone's company. Doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're poor, doesn't matter if you're black, doesn't matter if you're white. Jesus, he, he's the greatest person to be in the company of. But you know what sometimes we fail to say? For certain people, Jesus can be really hard company. Self-righteous people. Hypocritical people. People who are blind to their own flaws. And now Jesus is going to expose this host for who he is. This meal's been punctuated by awkward silences. Jesus is now going to fill this silence again by skilling this host in the etiquette of who to invite to your dinner party. Now, one of the things you need to know is that in the ancient Middle East, when a person hosted a party, they often did it to publicize or reinforce their status. So when you were drawing up your guest list, you would very, you would carefully consider who to invite because you wanted that people on your guest list to either enhance your status or pre- preserve your social position. And that's exactly what this ruler of the Pharisees has done. Who did he invite? Well, he filled his home that day with his fellow Pharisees. And remember, he's the ruler of Pharisees, so these are men who would look up to him and honor him and show him respect. These are men who would enhance his status. And not only that, he's invited Jesus, the most popular preacher of the day. Yes, I know a rogue rabbi, but certainly he had a great reputation. So, once again, he would enhance his own status. In other words, this host threw a party to help himself rather than help other people. And Jesus clocked that. This man has the same problem as all the other Pharisees. He's filled with pride. He's self-seeking, self-centered, self-interested. So with that backdrop in mind, let's read what Jesus says. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Here's what Jesus says to his host. Next time you throw a dinner party, you need to change your entire guest list. You've invited all the wrong people to this dinner party. Your future dinner party, you need to invite those who cannot repay you. 
You need to invite those who are not part of your social circle, those who cannot bestow honor on you, those who won't advance your status. You need to invite the blind, the poor, the crippled, the lame. You need to invite the sort of people who won't scramble for the seats of honor, but you'll need to help into their seats because they're lame, they're blind, they're poor. And what Jesus does here is, is brilliant. Because as he gives this advice, he does what he's done before. It's not just generic worldly advice, it's actually kingdom advice. He brings God into it and he says, God cares about who you invite to your dinner party. So much so that if you invite the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, you'll be blessed. In fact, he goes further. And he says, if you invite those sort of people, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You know what Jesus says here? Don't throw a party to advance your earthly status. Throw a party so that you can advance your heavenly status. And how do you do that? Don't exalt yourself. Be humble. And invite the lost, the last, the least. You know, If you and I were to throw a party and you and I were to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, it would require love, not duty. It would require real generosity. If you and I were to throw a party for these sort of people, it would not advance our status but rather it would bless others. At the heart of the kingdom of God is this call to us as kingdom people to show hospitality to those who don't deserve it. It could never repay us. I need to be clear, and so that Jesus isn't misunderstood, Jesus is not saying that you could never have a party where you invite your friends or rich or influential people, because Jesus makes it absolutely clear in all of his teaching, we've got to love every single person as our neighbor. We've got to show love to all. But what Jesus says reveals the heart of someone who's humble is that you will invite people who could never repay you. What Jesus says reveals a humble heart and a humble disposition is that you want to bless others and not be blessed by others. Now, the sad thing about our life, even in the 21st century, just like the first century, is that so many of us are longing for recognition, popularity. So many of us want to advance ourselves. Jesus says, listen, see in the kingdom of God, the humble person doesn't need to try and advance their earthly status because they know their heavenly status is secure. They know their heavenly status is is that which Jesus is in charge of and not others. Jesus is the one who gives us on the verdict of who we are. Now, 
we're going to see this when we come back tonight, when we look at the parable of the great banquet feast, but do you know why when we throw a dinner party and why this Pharisee should have invited the lame, the poor, the blind, and the crippled? Because this is exactly what our Father in heaven has done. As we're invited to this table this morning, do you know why you're invited? Because you've got nothing to offer him. Because you can't repay him. Because you can't, in a spiritual sense, even bring yourself here. He had to transform you, save you, to bring you into his kingdom so that you could come here. The, the most amazing kingdom news is that we're invited to this table. We don't deserve to be here. We didn't earn a place here. We didn't merit a place here. In fact, we did everything to demerit a place. But because of our God, who is gracious and generous and loving and kind, he's made a place here for those who trust in his son. And so as we wrap this dinner party first part up, we've seen very clearly that Jesus is not a dull dinner guest. And by the way, if you come back tonight, you're going to see that not only is Jesus a dull dinner guest, but Jesus is the most incredible host of the parties that he throws. And he wants to invite everyone who will come. But to come to his party, you've got to humble yourself before him and acknowledge that you are poor and needy and you've got nothing to offer him. So come, if that is you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the way that you spoke honestly, personally, and profoundly to these Pharisees that Sabbath afternoon. We thank you for the way that you've spoken honestly and personally and directly to us this Sunday morning through your word and by your spirit. Jesus, some of us don't realize how proud we are how self-seeking and self-interested and hypocritical we are. And so we pray that by your spirit that you would shine the torchlight upon our hearts. Show us who we are so that we might humble ourselves under your right and mighty hand. And Jesus, we thank you that as we come to this table to feast with you, that we don't come here because we are worthy in of ourselves. In of ourselves, we are unworthy. But we thank you that through your life, death, and resurrection, through you dying in our place and for our sin, and giving us your righteousness, you have made us worthy guests. And we are honored to be here. And honored to be guests at your table. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.